Hello again to all the listeners out there. Thank you to each and every one of you for tuning into What's the Tease. Please welcome to the What's the Tease stage, the kitten that the cats prefer, Kitty Kapow. Hello, Kitty. <laughs> Hello. To get us started, you're San Francisco born and raised. Is this where you first were introduced to the art of burlesque? I feel like burlesque kind of snuck in from so many different outlets, but it is where I started taking classes and performing. Mm-hmm. So how did it sneak in for you then? I was in uh, theater arts for most of my youth. And so I don't, it's just like it had some cultural touch points and some productions that I worked on were related to it. It just kind of like it was something I was aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with Dita Vontis being like um, so prevalent in the dominant culture mm-hmm. um, at that time. It was something I was aware of, but it was never like um, something I considered would be for me. Mm-hmm. So like where would you say you first saw or experienced burlesque where, where, where it's, it sparked for you and you were like, yeah, actually this is something that I'd be quite interested in seeing where else it goes for me. For a long time growing up, I always tried to be a performer and it uh, it didn't go well in the communities I was in. So I ended up working a lot of production between stage managing, assistant directing, um, lighting, everything. I did a little bit of everything. Um, so I just never thought performing was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I dropped out of college. I was going to um, college for theater. Um, and decided to just make a change and spent about a year or two not being involved in anything creative like that. And I went through a really bad breakup Mm -hmm. and just decided I needed to reconnect to this thing that I love so much and was so invested in. Um, And I randomly signed up for a burlesque class in Mm -hmm. San Francisco and was like, oh, yeah, I can I have everything I need to do this already mm-hmm. um, and just haven't stopped. Mm-hmm. Upon your decision to pursue performing burlesque, what informed the kind of artist you wanted to represent on a, the burlesque stage? It took a really long time to have the understanding I have now. But in the first class I took, I made I made valuable connections with everyone who was there. It was beautiful and nurturing, but there were a few performers um, that debuted with me and made me so curious and excited because the work that they did immediately felt genre bending or medium bending. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just said, why don't, why don't we try to do our own show? Um, So I debuted in um, April, 2016 and we were producing our first show by the end of that year so i'm just gonna skip forward a bit are you talking about the hex in the city production yeah yeah our first show was uh december 2016 uh now um in 2022 we call the show hex just that um Mm -hmm. because it's easier And I mean, you being one of the head witches in charge of this queer coven of creators and performers, 
was this then your first outing into producing an event of this nature? Yes and no. The arts high school I went to gave us a lot of creative freedom and I was in, you know, a production management position very early on and built those skills, you know, as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was not unfamiliar, but mm-hmm. it was so exciting to grow my understanding and mm-hmm. mature my understanding. Yeah, at the beginning of Hex in the City, it was very equal share, collaborative. Um, we've had a lot of changes. People have come and go with everyone like growing their own art. Um, so at this point, I, I produce the show and I have, um, I have collaborators who've been with us from the beginning who are kind of our, our feature performers, but I, I run the production side myself. Mm-hmm. So what motivated the creation of this particular showcase? Like, was there something in the scene that you thought was maybe missing that you wanted to sort of inject or was it something else? I think the time that we entered the Bay Area burlesque scene, there was a very well-established ecosystem of shows and how performers came in and out. And we didn't feel we didn't feel like we had access to that um, being uh, performers significantly younger than most Mm -hmm. people in the scene um, and having, because of how young we were having a very different, um, different ways to fund our work in that we had no money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we just didn't see productions where we, we saw ourselves in, in it. Mm -hmm. We saw shows that we loved. We saw shows that were expanding our understanding of what burlesque is, but there was nothing that felt like home. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of us were very, pop culture especially horror leaning Mm -hmm. with our interests and yeah we wanted to make a space especially for folks who are you know the weirdos i mean everyone in burlesque is the weirdos but our our specific corner of weirdos that are um you know queer and gender expansive and have similar cultural touch points that Mm -hmm. we we did and um, yeah, we just wanted to make space for ourselves and and fill that space. And I mean, this is a monthly showcase, right? At one point, we have a lot of different iterations based off of venue and funding and bandwidth. Um, mm-hmm. But at one point, we were monthly. At this point, we are uh, quarterly. I try to follow. <laughs> <laughs> For, for this year, I've decided that I want to try to follow the um, equinoxes and solstices, try to get our shows as close as possible to those very creatively and energetically potent moments of the year. Okay. I mean, I think that's a really good thing as a producer. You spend so much time creating a show and then of course like you build a fan base around that so of course they want to you want to be there for that fan base and show up for them but at the same time there is a lot of pressure when it comes to making a regular show you know like on a monthly basis because also with burlesque being the sort of underground art form that it still is a lot of people that you're working with also still kind of maintain a day job you know, mm-hmm. like something that's a, a bullpaying type of job. And you have to work around all these, like everybody's schedules. So it's not always the easiest 
thing to achieve. So, I mean, I commend you in sort of allowing yourself the capacity to to be like, you know what, it's going to evolve as it does. This is what I'm striving for as a goal. But yeah, you know, it started as a monthly and now it's doing the the, the equinoxes. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, everyone involved in Hex has a day job, sometimes two, sometimes three. I've always had at least one job, if not two, three, four. It's very hard to survive financially in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, on top of that, I've um, I went back to college during this time. I'm staring down my last year before I get my bachelor's. So that has always affected like, what can I do financially? And with my energy, I feel like I get pretty brain fried um, when I dedicate myself to school and it's not worth it to put on not the best show I can. Mm-hmm. It's I don't serve my community. I don't serve the performers uh, I love to work with by not being at my best. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So just back to you um, as your, the solo performer, what inspired the name Kitty Kapow? Um, it came up during a exercise in one of our early, early burlesque classes. Our teacher, Red Velvet, she gave us um, just cute little pinup pictures, and we had to choreograph a small sequence that either begins or ends in that pose, which I love. That's super mm-hmm. creative, and I think that's such a fun way to get people to start connecting movement with the you know the silhouettes and the shapes that um are associated with like classic burlesque um and then we were supposed to teach out to the class i also love that and i although i've done dance you know with long periods of not (laughs) taking classes throughout my life um i don't have the language of dance i just i don't have the words and so i I was getting really creative with describing it. And there was a particular like hip thrust that Mm -hmm. I called the kitty kapow. And everyone's like, oh, that's the name. Mm -hmm. You know, that's your name now. Um, And I loved it. And I kept it. My kind of infliction on the kapow was right then. Was that on the money? Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely love hearing MCs introduce me. I almost never want to give them notes of what to say because... I I love what comes off the dome on stage. As we mentioned before, you are based in the Bay Area, so San Francisco and Oakland, which from across the pond, like where I am, I think seems to be known for its liberal-minded population. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong at any time you residing in the actual um, area. In your experience, how is burlesque perceived in this part of the world? Mm. Um, I think you're correct on the liberal minded, but we just run into interesting conflicts within that umbrella. Um, I keep on mentioning how hard it is financially to survive out here. And that's very specifically for creators and artists, also queer people, people of color. Um, There's just a lot of wealth inequity and gentrification causing, um, causing it to be really hard to um, keep your roots mm-hmm. uh, in this area. But uh, the the broader perspective on burlesque, I think generally is positive. I think it gets, 
somewhat associated with our really vibrant, beautiful um, drag scene here. Um, and I think burlesque is seen as a novelty. I don't think it is as popular as drag is just because, you know, drag has entered such a um, mainstream level. I also think Bay Area drag is very different from what people have expectations of from, you know, what they watch on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think burlesque is a little less popular. I think it's a little bit more insular of a community. But as things are coming back and opening up, I'm seeing more and more people drawn to it. Um, the different shows that are building back are, you know, opening new avenues for getting excited and interested. Um, and that makes me really happy. I mostly am in the even more niche corner of the queer nightlife burlesque. I think there is some burlesque that is not involved in queer nightlife here. A lot of it is. Um, but yeah, seeing new faces. Our our first show back after not doing in-person shows during the pandemic, we were at a larger venue. Um, I was very nervous about selling enough tickets but we surprisingly we sold out in advance we sold a couple extra at the door so we kind of oversold um and walking through the audience i'm used to knowing almost everyone in the room and i only knew like a, a quarter to a third of the people there and that was so so exciting and so special to mm-hmm. build new connections and build more community awesome like that's uh, really great to hear that it sounds like burlesque is still very much growing in that part of the world. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of room to grow, but that um, things are starting to percolate and things are, are shifting in really beautiful, exciting ways. So you worked for Circus Center, a nonprofit whose mission was to spread or is rather, to spread the joy of circus arts through performance, training, and outreach. Does Cirque play a role in your life as a burlesque artist? Yes and no. One of my dearest friends uh, in burlesque and out, Barbie, she was working at Circus Center before I did and made the connection with our um, forever host and femcee, Sparkles Divine, um, they, you know, they were just working on the same team and got to talking about what we were doing back in uh, 2016. And Sparkles has been with us for every show since our first show. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've definitely made some really wonderful connections with people just in the Circus Center community and having, having that job for, I believe I worked there for three years really helped sustain what I wanted to do and help me grow what I wanted to do. So I'm really appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Are there I- any elements of uh, the Cirque arts that you employ in your stage performances? No, I worked at Circus Center, but I didn't train there mm-hmm. uh, at that time because I, there were a lot of hours uh, sitting at the front desk. Um, it was hard to spend beyond that time. I, mm-hmm. I needed time to rest and recoup. 
I ask because, you know, variety performances that include burlesque often also include drag as well as, you know, any kind of cirque arts. And that kind of always makes for quite a comprehensive variety show. Have you ever found yourself on that sort of a stage? I hold that kind of space with our show. Um, between all of the training that Barbie Bloodgloss and Sparkles Divine had at their time there, we also, one of our principal performers who's been with us since day one, Cheetah Biscotti, was originally training as a clown and studied at the Clown Conservatory at Circus Center um, as well. And watching them grow their craft um, from clowning to also adding in dance and adding in burlesque and adding in drag, they're so multifaceted in what they do. And I mean, getting to watch um, the past almost six years of their evolution is incredible uh, for all of them, everyone that I work with. It's really incredible. And you're totally right. There are so many artists in our community that have this multidisciplinary practice, especially, you know, the folks I work with really do marry drag with burlesque. There are totally Cirque artists who draw from both and it's exciting. I, I don't have that background. Um, but I, you love to see it, you know, it's, it's just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So in August of uh, 2020, we saw the debut of your baby drag king persona. And as your Instagram handle suggests, can you tell us more about who is Tommy Katsu? <laughs> I, I, I did that handle on a whim and I, it's so funny to hear said out loud. Um, yeah, I so in uh, Oakland, there is this incredible drag king troupe called the Rebel Kings of Oakland. Um, and I had a few like performance friends, performance acquaintances involved, and they offered prior to the pandemic um, a workshop that I attended just about kind of tipping your toes into um, drag king performance. And it felt like a very welcoming open door to step into. Um, it felt like an extra avenue to privately and publicly explore gender expansiveness for me, which was um, very personal and so meaningful to have folks kind of support along that journey. Um, and yeah, I, I started doing a couple online drag king acts for the rebel kings online shows um and it was such an amazing creative challenge um like makeup wise i didn't have anything i needed to make a good king look and mm -hmm. i hated my pandemic hair because it was like down to the small of my uh back and I live in a studio apartment with another person and two dogs. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was an awesome, awesome challenge. And I really loved figuring it out since then. I've done a few in-person shows, um, pardon me with the rebel Kings and I love who they are and I love what they do. And it's one of the most encouraging places for new performers to explore the medium. Burlesque is often said to be a exploration of hyperfemininity, and conversely, drag king is then said to be, you know, the hypermasculinity. So 
as a queer artist and from your understanding of gender, what of the feminine and masculine are you like engaging with when you are Kitty Kapow versus Tommy Katsu? I love that assessment because that's how I see it. I know that's not for everyone, um, especially with their beautiful personal gender journeys. You Mm -hmm. know, burlesque can be an expression of whatever the performer desires. But for me, it is high femme. And it's only become more comfortable and more glamorous and more fun to express that part of myself as I've understood who I am outside of it. Because when I started burlesque, I was 20 years old um, and kind of at the beginning of a new phase of life um, and a new a new development of personality and positionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I got a little bit too tied into what what burlesque meant for me versus who am I outside of that. Mm-hmm. So having time to develop kind of who I am outside of this community and who I am outside of uh, those social connections made it so much more fun. You know, embracing the language of non-binary to describe myself Mm -hmm. um, made playing with femininity so much more joyful. It didn't feel like a responsibility. It felt like um, a gift. And it's the same thing with the, the high masculinity of performing as a drag king once i once i like freed myself from having to present as a woman which never truly felt comfortable i i now get to play with who i am uh in the world and how people perceive me and of course there are days where it's really hard that kitty kapow is who i'm known as the most um essentially in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who I am the most of and the way I present is a portion of who I am that can get really hard uh the misgendering and the yas queening is mm-hmm. is hard some days but it's also I know it is a gift it is a gift to be visible um and you know in a time where we experience so much um you know femme invisibility and queer femme erasure I do, I do still want to hold that space and, and share that with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you are performing these roles, do you find yourself playing into uh, certain stereotypes of femininity and masculinity? Or are you like consciously trying to um, dismantle that and show people something else? I mean, I, under, I know you're doing that by essentially already just taking to the stage as a non-binary person. But of course, like, that is, I think, understood when you're performing within a community that um, understands that language. But like, for instance, when you go out, like just in general into the world, when, when, you, when you do a show as Kitty Kapow or, 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 or Tommy, like, is the audience going to experience something that they are familiar with? within those roles? That's such an interesting question. Um, I don't think I have intention around stereotypes by any means. Mm. Um, But I also don't know if I have intention around subversion. I also do, I I do think being visibly fat and moving will Mm. always be subversive until there's a, you know, a, a measurable decline in fat phobia within dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that way, move, like moving my body, being visibly fat, 
getting progressively nude, all of those things um, can be exciting and challenging and subversive for an audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it definitely uh, pushes people's expectations sometimes. And that's another way in which like, although there are times where that is sometimes emotionally challenging, Mm -hmm. it's so much more rewarding to do the act in itself. But I don't, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't think I have any intention around stereotypes. I think I just try to bring, I try to bring authenticity. I try to share something that I find joyful or sexy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to bring one of the best versions of myself. For some people that may be very familiar and for a lot, maybe not at all. (laughs) yeah that sounds about right (laughs) awesome since 2021 you've become a regular cast member for the hybrid strip show for visibly fat and larger bodies thick tees do you identify as a burlesque artist on this platform and does your style of performance differ when presented in this realm versus that of on a burlesque stage Mm, Thick Tease is definitely, um, because it's still within its first year, an evolving mm-hmm. platform and production. But the way I entered it was more from the perspective of someone who has, you know, experience with go-going, has experience with sex work. Uh, that's that's more of the focus of what Thick Tease is doing, Thick Tease is trying to offer a platform for visibly fat sex workers mm-hmm. um, to share, you know, their art uh, in a more public way because we're not offered the same spaces that smaller bodied people are and whether it is go-going or burlesque or especially in, in stripping in clubs or in um, even in the pole community, there's just, there's not a lot of fat people being seen or giving opportunities. And it felt like a challenge. I love a challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love something new that's challenging. And I want, I've always wanted to learn pole dancing. I think this summer I finally have the time and um, have built a lot of strength to try that. Um, and I'm very excited. And I think community for um, fat performers is important because, you know, if we're lucky, we're, we're the big one in the show. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, there's two of us. Yeah, a community. I, in the same way that making space for queer and trans and gender expansive people in burlesque, uh, making space for you know, fat babes who just want to shake it and make their money mm-hmm. uh, is important to me. Um, Performance-wise, it's it's changing. I, um, I mean, I think at Burlesque in general, we are seeing the popular dance styles change to incorporate dance styles that were developed in the club. Um, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of that is because there are blessed performers who work in strip clubs mm-hmm. and are strippers. And I love to see it. I think it's super hot and super exciting. And mm-hmm. as long as we can, you know, honor the origin of this craft, um, I think it's wonderful. And I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to push how I perform and how I dance um, 
it's it's changing. The online shows definitely feel more burlesque because mm-hmm. you gotta you know you gotta do pasties on Zoom. You can't really give a lap dance on Zoom and all of that. But our in person events as they grow are trying to make that club feeling Mm -hmm. um and i love that i want to build my performance style to um be more expansive and be more influenced by like by my peers in pictes amazing i love that sounds super exciting so kitty to close us out what kind of queer deviance can we look forward to from kitty kapow for the rest of 2022 Oh, um, okay. 2022, there are going to be um, a handful of online and in-person events that Thick Teas is running. So you can uh, stay abreast of that by following at Thick Teas. That's T-H-I-C-C-T-E-A-S-E underscore on Instagram. Uh, Hex is uh, slated for three more wonderful, big, beautiful shows in san francisco um and i hopefully will be you know getting gigs (laughs) around town um i will be at the what the funk burlesque festival up in seattle um in august and i hope to be around (laughs) to have gigs we'll see you know uh, i love i love a last minute booking so Mm -hmm. hopefully i'll pop up somewhere Amazing. And you got to fit all of that in, um, in between your studying schedule. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, thankfully school's during the day, so shows <laughs> at night are no problem. Okay. You heard it here. Kitty Kapow is available for bookings at night. <laughs> and I suppose, you know, you wouldn't mind doing a little brunch as well. I would love a brunch. Um, <laughs> I'm a morning person, so I'll, I can be ready for a, a 10 a.m. call. <laughs> Okay, can you just let us know once more where we could like and follow and support all the work that you have got lined up? I mean, I use my Instagram as the hub for promoting everything all the time, uh, every day. So uh, follow me at Kitty Kapow, K-I-T-T-Y-K-A-P-O-W-W-W. There's three on Instagram and everything will be there. And, you know, link in bio has everything all the time. You know, I hate the phrase chronically online, but it's cause it's true. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been an absolute delight uh, hosting you on what's the tease. Thank you once more. Kitty Kapow. Thank you.